I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This time, a former Suns player who you might remember as T-Rex. More video in just a moment, but this is Rex Chapman's mugshot, and we are learning a lot more about the charges. Where did your desire to own guns come from? I have a disease that's the only disease you can go to jail for. If you ever accidentally kill a man, it's never the same. I went to prison, and I was there for 27 months. A lot of things changed from then. And like I said, without structure came instruction. Jay, you had an accident. Stop. Stop, man. Welcome to Charges. I'm your host, Rex Chapman. Today, we speak with former NBA All-Star and my longtime friend, Jason Williams. Jason is a gentle giant, but his reputation unfortunately precedes him. A career and life on top as a professional athlete itself is a blessing, but in an instant, it can all be taken away. He's a man who would make back page headlines during his career as a New Jersey net, but in retirement is when he made a splash onto the front page. He has committed the worst mistake a person can make, costing someone else their life, albeit accidentally. What is not known is the slew of tragedies he faced throughout his childhood and how he put his family onto his broad shoulders time and time again. Through trials, in court, 
and tribulations with addiction. The road has been long, but Jason is a testament of resilience, and I'm proud to have him on to tell his story of rebounding in life and for others today. This is Charges. Charges. Jason, welcome to the show. We've known each other for a long time, and I love you, my man. Just wanted to get that out of the way. I feel like people know pieces of your story, and you've told right. me that you're ready to talk, so mm -hmm. let's talk. Yeah. When was it clear to you that basketball was going to be that thing for you? What age were you, and how did it change your life? Believe it or not, Rex, see, you was recruited, and uh, you know everybody heard of Rex Chapman. Uh, out of New York, we got a lot of people that play. And in that era, we had Derek Coleman, Terry Mills. Uh, we had Moses Scurry. Uh, we had uh, Kenny Anderson. Kenny Anderson, everybody. Yeah, man. yeah, we had everybody, you know. Uh, so I never got invited. It was a guy named Tom Kachowski. You remember him? Yeah, I do. He was the guy who wrote down, if you get four stars or three right. stars or five stars. Right. And then, right. And that's what, how college was recruited you. If you got a three-star, you were going to Division II. Five-star or four-star, you was going to Division I. Five-star, you was going to the Big East. So I would kind of manipulate him. I would say, hey, man, I, why don't you change that four to a five? And uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get you in the ABC camp. Remember that Sonny Vaccaro? Yes, yes, sir. I went up there. And I was an invite only. I think it was 100 people to get invited. I was 103. Now, Derek Coleman was up there. Your buddy was up there. Yep. Which you'll tell a funny story about uh, him a little later, uh, J.R. Reed. Um, <laughs> so he came in as a rookie, uh, as a senior, a sophomore, and I was a senior. And I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to let it have it here. You know, I'm just going, I'm going to play. I'm a hoop. Boy, they had some orange uniforms and gave us free sneakers. First time I ever got free sneakers. Wow. So I went down to this camp, and I had a move that goes behind the back and, and just lay it up. And I must have averaged 35 points. And I just remember, it was like the movies. Everybody running to the phone, and I had not one. Oh, I did have a letter, uh, and no disrespect to anybody. It was from Davidson. And I was like, where's Davidson? And then this is how ignorant I was. After I started getting letters, I always wanted to go to UCLA because I went to high school with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I was like, wow, I'm going to go to UCLA. Until I found out, and it wasn't on University of Corner of Lexington Avenue. That's what it didn't stand for, <laughs> UCLA, right? Yeah, right. I thought it was in Harlem. I thought all these schools was in Harlem. So I ended up wow. saying, heck no. You know, I cannot go to uh, UCLA because I can't leave my parents. Right. So at this point, um, when I got home, there was 100 letters. And I was like, wow, I got something here. I go home to show it to my daddy. And my daddy never forgot. He asked two questions. Well, how much are going to cost us? And then <laughs> even though I went from never starting a high school game to Starting my senior year, I knew there was only two places I was going to go, Seton Hall or I was going to go to St. John's because they were close to each other. And I never wanted to leave my parents because, believe it or not, I say it on your show, I say it to my teammates and my staff all the time. I watched The Omen as a kid and The Exorcist, and 
I slept in my parents' bed till I was 14. Yeah. I was scared to death. I'm you know, my dad used to say, damn, boy, when your feet stick off the bed more than I do, you time to leave your mama's bed, ain't you? <laughs> you know, he was from the deep south, dark yep. guy, you know. Yep. But uh, the movie scared the hell out of me, but it wasn't that. It was that so much things happened to my sisters that I would never leave the house to go to a camp without my dad. I've known Jason Williams for three decades, and he has always been the kindest man. I want to ask you all to try to leave your preconceived notions at the door for this interview. Whether at St. John's, briefly in Philadelphia, blossoming in New Jersey, or after his career as a broadcaster, Jason was always the biggest personality in the room with a heart to match. For someone in the spotlight of as many major networks as Jason was for so long, it's a minor miracle that more people were not aware of what he had to overcome to get to the top. Maybe if the public knew what you're about to hear, things may have ended up differently in the court of public opinion, even after a court of law charged him with reckless manslaughter. I try to never behave as though I've walked a mile in a man's shoes unless I'm willing to walk beside them and hear their story from its origin. For portions of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. So real quick, I grew up on the low east side of Manhattan. I came home, I was about 13 and a half years old. Uh, I was staying with my sister at the time. We would only live building to building, depend on if I missed curfew, that means when the lights went on outside, I could always run over to her house and she would tell a lie to my dad that I was over there. Uh, but this time it was an awakening. I got out the elevator, I saw a tremendous amount of blood. I looked down the hallway and the blood got thicker and thicker and it led into my sister's apartment. When I went into there, my sister is six foot one. She's about 130 pounds. She's a model, a supermodel. And uh, a guy named Sergio, uh, who I did not know at the time, I found out his name later, had stabbed her 17 times and beat her over the face with a hammer in the bathtub in front of her two-year-old son, EJ. And uh, that was just the start of it. Of course, we couldn't find Sergio at that time. My sister was rushed to the hospital where she received the blood transfusion. They didn't give her much pain for her face. Uh, They gave her more pain for her stab rooms, which was 17. And she got hooked on morphine. But during that blood transfusion, I can't prove this, but hopefully this is the reason because I've never seen my sister do drugs prior. She came home and we had to take down all the mirrors out of her house because her face was deformed. She caught the AIDS virus. She was the first woman in New York City to catch it. It was something like if you thought COVID was bad, uh, you times that by 100. And when people don't know what is going on, they became very, very panicked and panicked situations. I remember going to Bellevue Hospitals. I'll now never forgive Bellevue Hospital um, for having my sister come to appointments uh, doing the service elevators. I never forgive my mother, who I love to death, who's dearly departed three years ago for feeding my 
sister in a hazmat suit. Um, you had to have a hazmat suit on. That was something I never got over, and I loved my mother. I never did that. I stayed with my sister all during visiting hours, and then I would walk home, which was about a two-mile walk from 28th Street to the Lower East Side every single night. Sometimes I stopped at St. Teresa's and pray for her. She was my best friend. She was the cool sister that would pull up in a, a, a new Cadillac in <laughs> junior high school and say she'd be in the passenger side and all the kids that you know used to bully me or make fun of me because I wasn't dressed the right way uh, because at that time my mother and father split up and I was living in Henry Street Settlement, which was a homeless shelter. So I wore one pair of cut off jeans to school with a bomb on. So how ridiculous did that look in February? But I looked real cool when I got in the car at 14 or 13 uh, and, and started driving away. So, um, but that's about as good as it gets because we know people, Rex, who have HIV uh, now, they just went straight to AIDS then. Uh, she was my best friend. We had plans together. Uh, she gave us back then, it was a milkshake thing. Uh, and it was, it took, man, about five scoops. And it took the biggest spoon to chop this thing up. And it was in lumps. And you had to give it to her four times. But she went from 130 pounds to 41 pounds when she died in his fight of maybe six months. Um, that was sad to see. Uh, my sister, Sissy, who her name is Laura, but we called her Sissy, tried to ease the pain, came over, and started hanging out with her. And if you hang out in the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. So my sister started using drugs with her intravenously. Mm. And... Because Sergio decided to come in and rob my sister and beat her like the way he beat her, I lost two sisters to the AIDS virus. And like I said, it is not like where you can live with stuff like this for 20 years, 25 years. Um, this is something that kills you in six months. Uh, my sister had a son named EJ. My sister Laura had a son named Monique. I was getting ready to go to college in a couple of years. Uh, it was a difficult situation for my family. Then right away, I have a sister named Roseanne who was so beautiful, like mahogany. And, you know, she was just beautiful. She married an alcoholic, which we were not happy with. Um, I actually pulled him around back and told him, I was not happy with him marrying my sister. Uh, he told me very nicely because that's the mode I'm in. Rex, you play with me. I'm the nicest guy in the world, but when it comes to my family and my friends, it's for real, um, especially my sisters. So um, he yesed me and okayed me. Uh, six months later, he came home and had a bad day, took a shotgun out, and blew my sister head off, and then uh, shot himself. I had another brother who was struggling with alcohol abuse, run into a wall that said, welcome to South Carolina on 95. Uh, so I've had, and I don't tell any of this for shock value, I just know I've had a lot 
of business in addiction. Uh, myself, I'm an alcoholic. Um, and I have a disease that tells me I don't have a disease. So at any given moment, uh, I can end up in an institution. I can end up death. I can end up in jail. And you know what's messed up, Rex? I have a disease that's the only disease you can go to jail for. Yeah. Right? right. If you're an addict, you can end up in jail because you're an addict. Yeah. Well, Rex, I end up uh, raising my sister's children who I legally adopted. And it's nothing like trying to get a 11-year-old girl up to go to school and an 8-year-old boy. And you're pretty familiar with New York. So I had to wake up one little boy at 5 o'clock in the morning and then take him all the way from New uh, Queens to New York, drop him off at St. Anthony's, and then get back up, wake, re-wake my daughter. And when they at that age, they kind of get into their attitude and, you know, they want their hair situation and, you know, man, How they're old natural. They're natural. I was 18. God, 18. Lee, so, um, I, yeah, I took them to school. And um, then after school, I had to go to school. So after I finished school, I would have to go pick them up, one in Manhattan, one in Queens, then I would have to bring them to Luke Conaseca, who understood this, and uh, they became ball boys and ball girls and, you know, doing stuff like that around the gym. Then I had to practice. Then I had to go home, help them with their homework, do homework, and not to call this no saint, but, you know, I play for St. John's University. You play for Kentucky. That's all nice. You got a, got a great program, but you're not in New York City. You know, you're the you're right. the cow tipper town. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So uh right now New York had a lot of places to go and a lot of people that they had the most famous university in the world. Uh, I'm trying to get that done. And the only accolade I'll take for the rest of my life is that after four years of college, my kids missed five days of school and I got my degree and I was able to be drafted in the first round, which is a a whole new story. I hope you touch on about draft day. I want to ask you something. You've had so much tragedy in your life, but even at that young age, taking care of your brother, sister, uh, you know, uh, your sister's kids, you've obviously always cared about people. Um, how did you manage all of that being on your shoulders? I know sometimes you probably didn't manage it um, as well as you would have liked to, but you're such a caring person and you, you wear your emotion on your sleeve. Where does that come from? Well, I think it came from my mother and father splitting up the whole time. I had a tragedy where my uncle did something very terrible to me. Um, uh, when you were seven years old, right? Yeah, when I was seven years old, he got us drunk and he really hurt me physically uh, and my cousin. But, you know, I never forget getting him making me drink two glasses of liquor and getting to the house and was hung over as a, you know, seven, eight-year-old. And I knew I was in trouble when I slept on the, we had a room in South Carolina was the regular room. And then we had a good room where right. furniture was, we had the plastic right. on it. And if you yeah. in that room, you in trouble. Cause my grandmama let nobody use that room. You know, that room was for rehearsal for the choir with Ned Nunn singing behind so um, she told me that it was her son who did it. 
that if I was to tell anybody that my daddy would probably get upset and kill his brother. And um, so that was something I had to live with. And it was a little bit of chip on my shoulder. But you know what, Rex, if you ask me how I raised these children, it was a family. We have a family that we make out of tragedy. We tell good stories. We get around and we tell the good, the bad. Everybody in my family could tell a story. And it was just like, it's the next person up. And I was the next person up and I wasn't about to let them go to foster care. So I, you know, I took them on and it was just like nothing. That's fantastic. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With the 21st pick in the 1990 NBA Draft... 
the Phoenix Sun selects Jason Williams from St. John's University. You heard the round of applause. Jason Williams has played his basketball at St. John's. Jason's a power forward. The question on Jason Williams was, how is his condition? He had an injured foot. They had to place a pin in his foot surgically. This is a man who might have been a lottery pick without that uh, injury to his foot and getting the pin in the foot. Let me just tell you something about draft nights that you played there. You remember back, I didn't go to the, to the Madison Square Garden, Rex. I went to Coach Connor Secker's office, and I would look back. This is a funny story. My mother and father would sit back before me, behind me. Now, my dad is a really dark-skinned black guy with really white eyes. My mother is white, and I would look. My, my agent told my dad, said, look, he can go anywhere from 5 to 25. All my dad heard was, he going number five? And oh, I was like, gosh. So I had broke my leg, my broke my foot my senior year. So when number five came, it was the Miami Heat. My father jumped up, yeah! And it was like, goes to Mark Kessler. And my dad was like, still clapping. I was like, dad, that ain't me. That ain't me. <laughs> and, he, and she said, don't worry about it. You be next. This oh. went on. We got the number 10. Don't worry about it, son. You be next. We got the number 17 was the Knicks. So I, he knew I was going there playing at St. John's in New York. So the number 17th pick came on and said, New York's pick, Jay. My dad said, hey. Right? <laughs> Rod Mustaf. So my dad was like, so I did a double take. Right? I said, Dad, it's going to be all right. He said, yeah, it's going to be all right. Then I looked back again. He looked at my mom and said, Barbara. This son bitch gonna have me laying bricks the rest of my life. <laughs> so, so I know this is gonna get a little tricky. I try to let this die down, but hell, they keep losing my luggage in Phoenix anyway. So I gotta send it without them knowing. You know this uh, story, Rex, but a lot of your listeners might not know. Um, I was a young man, probably a couple of years younger, over circumstances than than what my uh, age really was, so I was very immature. But I knew on the 22nd pick I was going to the Nets because they called and said, Willis Reed said, I'm picking you. So it was at the 21st pick at this time, and you know back then that was a big deal because they thought they were getting a lottery pick who was hurt that can, they can wait for, and, and they had 20,000 people in the stadium. I didn't know that because I wasn't paying attention. I didn't know where Phoenix was, and I damn sure wasn't going there. So they said the number 21 pick goes to Phoenix Suns, and I'm just having a conversation with Coach Conaseca, and they said, Jason Williams, and we ain't even here because we weren't paying attention. And then they put a microphone in my face. They said, hey, Jason, what do you think about going to the Phoenix Suns? I said, going where? I said, I ain't going to Phoenix. I got the next pick. I'm going to Philadelphia. They said, no, you got drafted by Phoenix. And coach was trying to shake me. And I said, I'm not going to Phoenix. I said, ain't nothing out there but some redneck pickup driving, no teeth in their mouth, having sons of bitches. And the whole stadium was like, oh. And I was like, and that's that. And then at 12 o'clock that night, the governor put on a state of emergency that I was a racist. Uh, you know, didn't even know my mom was white, but 
I was just not going. And I went there, and uh, I never forget Jerry Colangelo giving me a old raggy LTD and giving Cedric Sabalas and Nigel Knight a brand new Cadillac. So I took the car up into the parking lot, up in the, in the mall, and I smashed it up. And I put it back down, and I said, I bet you I get a Cadillac tomorrow. And uh, the next day, I went outside and had one of them little Grand Ams, you remember? Yeah. Them little Pontiac. It was uh -huh. three times smaller than that Barney B. Jones car. <laughs> and, uh, and on the sticker on the window, it said, maybe the other car was too big. This might help you. <laughs> so um, I'm not going to bore you with going into what I had to do and destroy their offices, but they end up trading me to the Philadelphia 76ers. And I just made that long story to tell you that Cedric Sabalos called me and said, man, it was 30-year anniversary, and I just like you, glad that you like that cold money in Philadelphia <laughs> because one for you, I'll be out the league. So, That's right. That's right, yeah. man. Um, you got so many interests. You're just fascinating. So much emotional intelligence, Jay. Uh, I got to ask, did you love basketball, or did you play because you were size and athleticism? That's a good question, right? At times, I love, my dad got me my CDL license when you could sign off on it. But then in 2000, I had to retake the test. So I had CDL, that's commercial driver's license, hazmat. We, my dad had a trucking company. He had a gas station and a construction company. So I build most of my friends, their homes, um, their foundations, and then they take it from there. But you people don't know this, Rex, that... Every morning I had to wake up at 4.44. My dad had come. We had a big farm, 220 acres, about seven, 800 animals. I had to feed up. And it was pretty much now I know why. He'd be like, Jake, count them goats. And I'd be like, count the goats. Right? And he'd be like, I'd be like, hey, one, two, 18. I'd make up a number. Right, that I try to remember what happened two days ago. And I'd be like, 84. He'd be like, use a damn lie. <laughs> he said, they had a kid. That's what he called a little goat. Yeah. Last night, he go count them again. And I'd be like, hell, well, 84 plus one is fine. But I, you can never talk like that with my dad. Because um, my dad once put some lead in my brother for drinking because he didn't tolerate drinking. She put a little 22 in his behind. But, um... He did that because he knew I needed accountability to get up in the morning. My dad knew I had to stay busy. And what happened to me in my life, Rex, is that when I lose my structure, soon came destruction. Mm -hmm. So even to today, if I don't get up in the morning and get to the weight room, I don't get up in the morning and get myself together, I'm a hot mess. And it doesn't work. It, 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 it never changes. You know, my dad knew that he used to say, let me tell you something about your son, Barbara. He said, that son bitch is flicked. He needs to stay busy. The way that Jason has overcome and persevered, I mean, my goodness. Wow. Taking blow after blow and coming out on the other side from such a young age is awe-inspiring. In hindsight, his selflessness was his greatest asset, but may have been his Achilles heel as well. He'd give and give, but how much was left for himself and his craft? His will, efforts, and desire carried him to a sea of riches, but the shallow end of his eternal pool was draining dangerously low to the bottom.
you know, you were so crucial to your team winning. You're averaging 13 and 13 and an all-star. You sign a big deal for, you know, $90 million. I want the listeners to know how important it was to have a guy like you who was great at what you did. And how did your life change when you signed that deal? Well, I was doing pretty good before I was building a nice house. My dad built me a mega house. You probably go on cribs and find it, but he built it himself. What it did was, I'm be quite honest, it probably took the fire out of me um, a little bit. And But it wanted to, what it does do, Rex, you know that, because it happened to you the whole time because color of your skin, and then you came out playing, and you such a high lottery pick and so much hopes for. I came in backing up Derek Coleman and being the backup and coming and outplay those guys, and you get the headlines. But it's a difference right, when the rabbit got the gun, right? It's a difference when, you know, it's no fun when the rabbit got the gun. So when you is the man who's supposed to win, now you taking the wins and the losses, but, you know, everybody expect you to win and get these numbers. It seemed like everybody was focusing more on me in the pregame, uh, the other teams, and it was tougher and tougher. They was like, hey, man, keep them offensive off the board. They had three or four people checking me out. I think what hurt me the most was when we had the all, the lockout season and we came back and nobody was ready. Well, yeah. I wasn't ready. You know, I was still like, ain't going to be no season and right. I'm going to do what I do best. You know, I'm coming home at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, and I thought that I could move out of the way of us. You know, Stephon Marbury, who uh, – Stephon Marbury, uh, he, yeah. you know, he had his big old head, and I planned it to go up, and Mutombo knocked him into my knee. And, and this uh, is the first I, year, I, first year of your first contract, year, sixteen right? games yeah. into the contract, and broke my leg, and I never really played again. I tried to make a comeback three years later, and then you compensate on one leg, and you break the fifth metal torso, which gets no uh, blood in the other. Yeah. Uh, but as far as making the money. It's more important to keep in the locker room. What happened was we had a good locker room until we got certain people. See, I had one of these owners, God bless him, he died. But he had an idea that, you know, training Sam Cassell, who you know is great in the locker room, mm -hmm. to Stephon Marbury. Um, and me and Marbury didn't get along. We didn't see eye to eye. And he didn't see eye to eye with a lot of teammates. And it just brought the morale down for yeah. me. My opinion. Right. Um, but uh, I just thought that was it. And, and it just, I loved, well, I loved basketball. You asked me a question that I love playing. I love construction and driving a truck more. But I loved when we won. And I loved when I was in the Meadowlands and had those fans. Matter of fact, I had a season ticket. All the season ticket holders was allowed to come to my house once a year, which was about 5,000. Yeah. And I get to know them and hang out. I love the camaraderie. I love seeing people smile and feel good. I'm actually playing the game, you really had to poke the bear uh, to get me going. So I played hard every day and because hustle's a talent. I tell these it kids is. all the day, you know, hell, you know, no bigger talent than diving on loose balls, grabbing offensive rebounds, which I think I don't think anybody's broken that record. And no. um and, and just going out and, and taking charges and nothing worse or nothing better than grabbing offensive rebound and throw it back to Sam, and he missing it, and go and get another one, throw it back to Sam, and then he make it, and then he make all the rest. 
you know, and I love that. We just love making people feel good. But when you get some bad apples on the team, you know that. When you get some dudes on the team, and I was this guy. I was always the enforcer in the locker room. I'd be like, look here, man. You say thank you for the person picking up the towel. You say thank you for the, to the ball boys. And you quit moping around here because you're making $20 million. Look, when we had the strike, I paid every single person that worked in the, in the Meadowlands. So all the people serving popcorn, union workers, all that, I paid. You know, I paid them to come because they were missing 40 games. You know, these other guys would come in and, you know, reach over at the popcorn maker and just snatch some popcorn out their hand. Not all these guys, just one idiot. Uh, and uh, I said, hey, man, he got to pay for that popcorn when he get back. You know, you're going to get up and pay for it. It was literally times that I would stop and call timeout when I seen it <laughs> and make him go into the room and get some money and pay them. So that's the kind of program I ran there. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it was good when we had good people. You know, Jason, you if I had one word, if somebody said, you know, describe Jason Williams to me as a basketball player, my uh, answer is always relentless. You were just relentless, and that's what made you such a great teammate. You So you've broken your leg, and at this point you've talked with the doctors, you've tried to make a comeback. Uh, you've kind of decided it's not going to happen. Did there come a point where you thought your life was spiraling out of control? You know what happened? I went to school at St. John's University. I got my degree, and I used it right away. It was communications, liberal arts. I jumped right into NBC, and I was Charles Barkley and uh, uh, what's the guy, Strahan, before Strahan and all these guys did you all really that were. stuff. Yeah, I was on NBC, and I was making mm -hmm. it fun, and I never gave stats. I love it when... Shaquille and all these guys got up there and go, well, we're going to get 18.7 rebounds. Uh, who the hell knows how many going to get 18.7? <laughs> and does the viewer care? Viewer want to hear about, you know, a funny story like we've been telling tonight, right? right. I can't tell you who's going to win the damn game, and neither can anybody on that panel, right? <laughs> so I kept it lively, and we were number one, man. We yeah. were number one at that time. When you start playing bad, don't you notice this, Rex? You start getting more and more people around you. You yeah, know, misery loves you, company. Yeah, so all of a sudden, you know, the core people like the Ron Rutledges and uh, uh, my brother and the George Panners and the Daniel Shays, all the guys that were close to me would say, hey, Jay, it's 1130. We got one tomorrow. We got a game. Time to go. You know, finish that up. Yeah. And then I look around. You see a pretty girl. You see something. And be like that. But then you see a whole bunch of other guys, and they be come over to you, send you a drink, and they'll say, hey, man. You ain't got to go. You're doing what you do. The team yeah. sucks, you know? And then all of a sudden, you get a bigger group of people hanging out with you, and your core people leave. Now, you don't know that team of people that's around you. Now, they have a group of people around them, Rex. Right. Now, before, and they have a group. So before you know it, you're sitting up in the club, and you with 30 people you don't know, and your core group is gone, and then all of a sudden you got some people create because they got a plan. They create drama in the club, and then one big guy comes over and he tries to put it out so he can move up in status. Right. Uh, in in and before you know it, you're lost. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. That's what happened. Uh, to I you. became lost, and it was because at this point 
I was crying in my milk. At that point, I'm crying in my milk now Yeah. Uh, when I get sad. Before, I was crying in a, a bottle of scotch. Right. And that's dangerous. And right. then, you know, you have a house full of people, and a lot of things are going to go wrong. And I think the biggest thing that happened to me was I got too big for my britches. First of all, um, I started trusting in everyone else instead of trusting in God first and then trusting in my core people. And like I said, without structure came destruction. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to be Hollywood. Hell with that. And I had the best job. I was the highest paid guy. How old was He's on you? the way to winning the enemy. Uh, How old were I you, I must have been about 31, 32. I mean, and then uh, I had I had an accident that I recklessly caused and and recklessly ran away from. And and, and I had to, uh, and, and, I was, and I'm deeply sorry to Mr. Christoffi and his family. And uh, I had to go, I went to prison and I was there for 27 months and uh a lot of things changed from then. Let me ask this. Where did your desire to own guns come from? Look, I'm from Kentucky, so I know gun culture. Um, but you're a guy from New York with a construction background. How did all these guns end up at your house? Well, I'm going to tell you two things, and it's the honest truth. First of all, I had skeet machines. If you watch MTV Cribs, right. you know, um, yeah. I had skeet machines. I grew up in South Carolina for a while, so we would do, you know, clay shootings. Mm -hmm. So all the guns in my house, you know, 95% were shotguns. So they were all for clay machines. Uh, the problem I had was leaving them uh, locked at times and trusting people to put them back. Uh, what happened that night, there was a shell in the gun. I'm not going to blame it. It was my gun. I own it. Uh, I did not mean to. I did not know Mr. Gustafi's in the room. The gun went off, hit him, and killed him. He called 911. I panicked, ran away. It's something that's going to follow me for the rest of my life, but it's, and I'm sorry. Your use of alcohol has gotten you into a lot of trouble. Obviously, alcohol and guns don't mix. That's gotten you where you are today. But where you go from today, how you handle the rest of your life, it's entirely in your hands, and you're going to choose your own path. So with regard to these matters, on the charge of hindering apprehension, which is a third-degree crime, on the charge of tampering with, with witnesses, which is also a third-degree crime, on each of those matters it will be a five-year term in state prison. On the uh, count, the uh, fourth-degree count of aggravated assault, it, it will be an 18-month term, 18 months to be served without parole. The uh, counts will all run concurrent to each other, so it's a, a net aggregate term of five years in state prison, 18 months to be served without parole. To my family, please forgive me for the pain that I've caused to you, my children. You deserve a better father, son, brother than I have been. Judge Coleman and the Christoffi family, I'm not a bad man, but I actually acted badly on February 14th. I will work endlessly to improve myself, to continue to help others, and again, make positive contributions in our society. That's who I am, and that's who I want my daughter to be proud of. When you get a wrong group of people around you, Rex, and this happens to a lot of NFL guys and a lot of guys who are in the NBA who have a posse, 
When you don't have your original posse no more who know that you can do what you can do and going to tell you the way it is, you start owning guns because nobody's going to rob us in the club, Rex. We're right. spending money. Yeah. We got more security, more bouncers. They're going to make sure you're going to be all right. And nobody wants that publicity. Plus, I'm from New York City. I can handle myself. Everybody in the city that will do something like that has the much most respect for me. Um, it becomes where you hold guns because you're hanging out with people who know your intimate secrets, right? And you're as sick as your secrets, right? So you have a gun and you're just letting them know, hey, you see this? You know, and it ain't for, you know, uh, T-Bone or Sal right. or Anthony to come take your money. It, it, it's for the innocent group going, hey, man, you better not tell nobody what time we were out to and what we was doing and better not tell about that goat and, and uh, you know, all these kind of craziness. Um, and not and not be honest with you, that's the true answer. And that's why athletes carry guns. We don't carry guns. Who the hell are we? To, you know, we going to shoot our way out the club? It's just for the inner circle that we don't trust that tell us how good we are and know damn well. My daddy say this. Love many, trust a few, paddle your own damn canoe. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I love your dad. I've never met him. Uh, I, I, I sound like a, an unbelievable man. Hey, to share this stuff is huge. Um, I've heard you talk about the people around you and your behavior the night of the shooting. And I've heard you say you acted like a coward. But now that you're sober, clean, you've had all this time, do you even feel like that was you or was that some other version of yourself where you're just broken at this point? Uh, you know what something when you hear this pow, and you didn't see nothing and you see somebody hit the ground you like your first is to protect yourself I guess and me run I never remember this jumping in the swimming pool coming back butt naked and and know uh, but I remember watching not in less than 10 seconds calling 911 and I remember coming back everybody's trying to tell a story like probably including myself I think I was selfish. I think um, if I was with the right crew, if it was Ron Rutledge, my brother, any one of the group that helped me get to where I am, Danny Mizell's, uh Joe and, and, and Mike Kaiser, I would have been in a situation where he said, Jay, you had an accident. Stop. Stop, man. Right. What happens is you just panic. You go into shock and if you ever accidentally kill a man, it's never the same. You know, you're taking yeah. something from everything he got and everything he's going to have. And sometimes when I'm having a real good time, I just stop laughing and I love to laugh and I go, damn, I did something that could have been avoidable. I was reckless. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, 
You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jay, you said you think about the accident and the mistake every day. Uh, at the time, you said you've gone to Mr. Christoffi's grave more than your own father's. Uh, do you think the weight of that mistake led to probably even more alcohol abuse? Or do you think once you'd crossed a certain point with drinking, you were just an alcoholic and someone who, like me, uh, would be in recovery for the rest of your life? Well, I think it's the ripple effect. It's the effect that when you got out of jail, you said, look, I pay my debt to society. Uh, I'm out. NBA, you want to help me? Uh, not that you need the resources, but you want to get back with the camaraderie. That's right. Uh, and people go, uh-oh, can't touch you. Right? Going to need a little time. That's right. Well, it's been 20 years later. And about five years ago now, the NBA let us partner up with them uh, to have a center where we can help people with anxiety, depression, and drugs, and alcohol. And um, that's where I'm at right now. Jason Williams. Alcohol once controlled every aspect of his life. However, for the last 27 months, that's no longer been the case. Williams battled alcoholism for years. He came down to Palm Beach County for treatment and to get help through the advice of his friend Charles Oakley. Now, 
he's helping others. For 53-year-old Jason Williams, this is just another day at the office. His office, you see, is actually a rehabilitation program which uses adventure sports to jolt addicts out of their bad habit. Be honest with you, I'm very, very good through the grace of God at getting people better. Probably it's the highest in the country. Jumping out of airplanes, uh, scuba diving with our therapists or psychiatrists with us. We do 19 different crazy outdoor activities and then boom, we go right into our treatment and you know, we're out from 6 o'clock in the morning until 8 o'clock at night, and people exhaust, they lose weight, they gain muscle, build self-esteem, break down barriers. It's like no other program in the country that does this, and I have to be there seven days a week, so it keeps me accountable. But be honest, between me and you, Rex, what it does is it deflects for right now. It keeps my mind off of the awful things that I have done. And guess what? When I get home, I'm so tired that I go to sleep, and then tomorrow, rinse, wash, repeat. Every day, rinse, wash, repeat. But like I said, it's about the program that people say, well, Jason's stuck down there. You know, we get the toughest cases. And because uh, I'm a warning or an example. How many people have been through the things that I've been through? So, you know, not only with our psychiatrists and our coaches and all the people. And look, look, we got your man Mike Jeminski down here. And right now, he came down and he's on one year sober. And much as he wanted to be on this show today, he goes, look, I'm teaching that one to two class. And he only told me three months ago, he said, I found my calling. God, that's you know, great. So as much as he's on CBS... Man, Mike is working down here with us. Um, we have had some of them, you know, and we don't get the easy cases because it's hard to get somebody who hasn't hit their rock bottom. Right. You know, it's easy when we get the guy that says, well, I'm down here for a DWI, and the judge said, look, he ain't there for 60 days. Call me. He's going to jail. Right. 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 And, uh, but when you get somebody who has an endless amount of resources, you have to be very clever to find something to leverage them with. Um, and most of the time is finding their purpose. And that's where the skill, life, you know, your, your skills and ability are going this way and, and, and the abilities of the world are going, you know, this way, the needs of the world. Skills and ability going this way, the needs of the world going this way. That's your purpose. My purpose is getting up every morning and helping somebody. When did you know you were going to do this? I didn't because you know what happened? I wasn't going to treatment. So, you know, it took Charles Oakley uh, and Curtis Martin. Now, they came up to a cabin, and you know how the brothers are, right? The brothers buy a Range Rover, and it ain't for a Range Rover, you know? <laughs> they buy a Range Rover and put white interior in it. So, Oak brings up to this, I bought a, uh, from uh, Jennifer Lopez and her husband, I bought a cabin on the top of the hill, and I had the resentments, page 64 in the big book, you know, F everybody, you know, and I'm going to live here and read water on the pond and the hell with everybody. And um, after 16 days, it was like red rum. I was drinking a gallon of liquor. You know, you came in there, it looked like the shining. So they came up to do an intervention along with, with Chris Mullen. Don't ever want to leave Chris out and Chris Heron and all these guys that have helped me. But when Oakley came up, you know, he came up with something behind his back. Because he was mad. 
because when he got out of this white interior, brand new Lexus, he was on clay and mud, right? And now he know he's going to dirty his truck, a Range Rover. That meant to be dirty. Uh, and then we go inside with Curtis, and Curtis will give you, Jay, you know what you got to do. What will Jesus do? Right? And I will watch him. He's in front of me. Look over my shoulder. Now, from being in prison, somebody look over your shoulder. You look back. You know, so I'll look back. And, and Oka put something behind his back. I said, what the hell he got behind his back? Now, I'm drunk. I'm doing it. They doing intervention. I'm drinking a gallon of moonshine. I'm really drunk. Mm -hmm. So the next time he did it and looked over his shoulder, I looked back. He hit it again. I did a double take. And Oak had aluminum back. And he said, look, man, you're going to treatment. And Curtis was like, what will Jesus do? And what would Jesus do? Had a lot less on me than with, when Oak with this big baseball bat, aluminum bat. So I said, all right, Oak, I'll go. And he had it caught like, you know, like, like Reggie, you know, Bucky Dent, Greg Nettles. You know, uh, he was ready to hit me. Um, and they got me down to treatment. And I never forget asking Oak, was you really going to hit me with that baseball bat? He said, all day long. And I said, well, have you ever hit anybody with aluminum baseball bat? Because I want to know how you gauge that. Is it a full swing? Is it a little tap? You know, what was the gauge? He said, Jason, I was going to hit your ass until you got in the truck. And we got you to Florida. That's love. And I went down. And after 30 days, here I go again, Jason being Jason, coming back going, I'm out. Let's go. Give me a job. You know, let's, let's have fun back on television. And everybody said, uh-uh, man, you got to go back. And I went back and, you know, I, I volunteered at a couple of places and didn't have the energy that I needed and didn't have the outdoor venture therapy because that stuff builds esteem and it loses weight. And, you know, it's just it's just – a tremendous program that I end up saying, okay, I'm going to stay here for a year. And now it's six years later and rebound is still going strong. And, and you know what happens, Rex? Sometimes you get in a knucklehead, right? I got some knuckleheads that come in, especially the players. You know, God, you know, it's hard for a player to come in because we're taught not to surrender. Man, oh, man, I ain't got no problem, man. I smoke a little reefer every once in a while, you know. And then I go, okay, man, pee in this cup. And it light up like a Christmas tree, you know? And then you go, look, man. And then they go, okay, yeah, man, I, I had that one night and this and that. And then, you know, three days later, you see everybody wearing the rebound shirt, which means more to me or as much to me as them getting better because that means that they release the stigma. And once you release the stigma and you wear this shirt, that means right now you be held accountable. Right? Because you went down there. See, a lot of players don't want to go down there because they still rather beg and, you know, whine and, you know, don't let nobody know. People going to look at you and go, hey, man, didn't you just get help? Hell no, I'm not serving you. Hell no, I'm not giving you no money. You better get your ass back to Jason. And I love it when old grandmothers call me about their kids and they go, hey, I don't told this boy. You better get your ass back to Jason. They don't even know the name of the program. They don't even <laughs> You better go see Jason. You know, so uh, 
I take a lot of pride in what we do, man. And you've been down to visit a few times as an observer and something it's that, you know, Jay. always helping. And, you know, I, I'm so proud of where we both have come. You know, I'm so excited to do your show. I'll be quite honest with you. I'm very uncomfortable doing these shows. But for you, Rex, you know, all in for you. Because let me tell you something, man. You know, um... Uh, and one and for like one year, man, me and you was hitting it. We had Godfather, yeah. we were doing talks, you were yep. knocking it out the park. And uh every time I see you, man, you just light up. And you don't know how much that makes me feel, brother, that you light up every time that you see me. And that makes me feel very, very, very special. I love you, bro. And you gotta know this, Jay. You light the world up. Everybody that knows you everybody that's come in contact with you. You're, Tony Kornheiser said it once about me, but I think about it when I think about you. You're incandescent. Your light can't be put out. And you do bring joy. You're helping so many people down there. For instance, and you tell Mike that, that I said this. I haven't talked to Mike Jeminski in a couple years, but a, a mutual friend of ours I bumped into in an airport about 18 months ago. And I said, hey, have you talked to G-Man? He said, G-Man's not doing real well, Rex. I said, really? I had no idea. And then uh, I followed up with a couple of friends. And then, lo and behold, I talked to you a few weeks ago. And he's down there with you. And I am so proud. I'm so happy that because, you know, hey, Mike's older. Mike's older. And it does. There's a stigma that goes, you know, with asking for help. And so I, you tell him I'm proud of him. I love him to death. You keep doing what you're doing, man. Jay, I want to thank you for joining me, telling us about your work and recovery and being willing to own your own mistakes and your actions and to try to make sure you help other people. I want you to know my door is always open to you, brother, and I love you. Thank you, Rex. I love you too, brother. Be well. God bless. Charges, sharing our ends with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and brawlers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges, sharing our ends with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and brawlers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 